Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up. In darkness, from the ones who walk in light, light 'em up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. And uh, today is May the tenth, two thousand and five, and of course it's the first day of our fundraising marathon. Don't let it get you down. I'm not going to, <laughs> as usual. I'm completely fragmented to today. I have two premiums, and I have a, a book about Irish women, and then I have a book about Berkeley women. There might be a connection, but. The author of the book about Irish women is not with us. She was here a month ago. That's Trina Robbins. She brought me a book called Wild Irish Roses: Tales of Bridget's, Kathleen's, and Warrior Queens. And you can have that for a uh, subscription of sixty dollars to KPFA. And the other book、uh, I'll talk about in just a minute. Remember, it's one eight hundred Hey KPFA H E Y KPFA or one eight hundred four three nine fifty seven thirty two, or in the Five and Dime area code eight four eight fifty seven thirty two or eight four eight KPFA. You know all those numbers now. Bridget's book, in case a Bridget's book, <laughs> Trina's book about the Bridgets and the Kathleens and the Warrior Queens.、Uh, Is just out, and basically, it's a story about all of the women in—I、uh, would call them not just myth, but in reality.、Uh, there's everyone from, you know, the Deirdres and the Morgans, the Swan Maidens, all the way up to the recent heroes, revolutionary heroes,、uh, <laughs> and even Scarlett O'Hara. Mother Jones would be my pick. The woman. Uh, the woman who、uh, was responsible for turning the labor unions into what I would call a, a, a holy cause, and there's Maud Gunn, of course, the muses, and my favorite, at least,、uh, to read about is the mother of Oscar Wilde, Speranza, Lady Wilde.、Um, She, let's see. The last time I saw her, she was in a movie played by Vanessa Redgrave. Pretty terrific, Lady Gregory,、uh, Lola Montez, you name it. Anyway,、uh, if you've seen this book and you want a copy, this is one of my premiums, and I'll try to mention it again in a few minutes. I don't want to give it short shrift.、Uh, these are wonderful stories. I gave it to several schoolgirls.、Uh, Who want to do history? Who want to do study of Celtic women in the past, both legendary and real? It's called Wild Irish Roses by Trina Robbins. Now I have a guest today who has、um, 
Well, she's one of the contributors, editors uh, of a, a book that uh, I find fascinating. And I, I, I looked at the title. The title is The Berkeley Literary Women's Revolution. And I went around asking everybody and I said, I'll bet you didn't know we had one. <laughs> anyway, today I have with me Doris Earnshaw. Uh, Doris, uh, how did this book come into being and what does it mean to have a literary women's revolution? Uh, uh, is it still going on? It is still going on, Jennifer, and uh, I'm very happy to be here. I must say first that I owe KPFA a great deal. I lived up in Sonoma County for two years in the early 70s, and KPFA kept me alive. So I'm very Wonderful. happy to be here and talk with you today. Wonderful. Uh, but this book, um, uh, the idea for it came about at a reunion of the women who began women's studies at Berkeley in the uh, late 60s, early 70s. And we had a reunion about six years ago, and uh, five of us decided that we were willing to put our time and energy into being editors and get the book out. And so we've met uh, mostly at Olivia Ileson uh, among her paintings and <clears throat> high Berkeley home overlooking the whole bay. And we would meet there and gather essays from as many of uh, our group as were willing to contribute essays. And then Robin Lakoff very kindly agreed to do a preface. So we uh, we are quite quite thrilled uh, that, that, that that she was certainly a friend and helper for many of us. Yeah, Robin Lakoff's uh, forward here, she's a linguistics professor at UC. We all know her work here at KPFA and the five women editors of this collection are Marsha Hudson, Bridget Connolly, Doris Earnshaw, who is here with me, and Olivia, how do you pronounce her last name? Ileson. Ileson, E-I. E-L-S-O-N, and Judy Wells, who's also been on KPFA here a number of times. The subtitle here is Essays from Marsha's Salon. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Who's Marsha? Yes, Marsha Hudson. Marsha Hudson. May yeah. I say a few words about yes, Marsha Hudson? Please. Well, Marsha is the longtime Berkeley person who did her undergraduate work at Berkeley, so she was very much at home in Berkeley, and she was very much a revolutionary in the women's movement, leading groups of consciousness raising. <clears throat> and for many of us, our first... Uh, ray of light uh, into the turmoil that was going on with us uh, came when we uh, either heard Marcia or saw a notice that she put up around campus saying, if you want to come and discuss women in literature, meet at my place. And so we met uh, all those of us who realized something was missing in our curriculum. In fact, I would walk around the campus and say to myself, I have this secret that there is a lot about women that I have n hear nothing about in literature, and this is a secret I will die with. I will, I will live forever knowing this secret. But then Marsha appeared at my, at a, a drama course that we had and said, I'm starting a literary salon. So we met for several years together, sometimes at Marsha, sometimes at Deirdre's, and, uh, and our ideas and our contributions uh, came out of that. Two books, uh, groundbreaking books of poetry. The poetry, um, International Women Poets, uh, that Norton published. And then Macmillan published a historical book, uh, Women Poets of the World. So we became researchers 
and we satisfied our curiosity about women in literature. But Marsha Hudson's essay here is titled Dancing in a Cage. Could yes. it be, well, it, it, was she an exotic dancer? One of the many themes that we, we find we, we deal with uh, is economics, and uh, Marsha feels that's key to her sense of survival. She was... Uh, found that dancing was a good way to earn money she she paid her earned her own money for her whole undergraduate and graduate education and she was dancing in this bar and some fellow pinched her and said what are you thinking about and then she writes always honest i told him i was conjugating greek verbs <laughs> so uh, so that always honest is so typically marcia and so typical <laughs> <clears throat> seems to me of this whole revolution we had to admit uh, as uh, uh, as some of us did even in critical moments when we were doing a dissertation mm -hmm. and had to change the topic because mm -hmm. the standard topic was not satisfying. Honest is the work of a lifetime and it will get you killed as Andrea Dworkin <laughs> learned and also Nawal El-Sadawe, she said her first essays yes. in Egypt, you remember. Yes. Oh, yeah. uh, speaking truth to power can be extremely dangerous, can get you killed. You well, mentioned, yeah, shock and awe that comes but from then revolution. There is another topic that I find right in the book at the beginning in uh, Robin Lakoff's foreword uh, that uh, is very interesting. She writes, I remember team teaching a course with Deirdre Lashgari in the late and lamented Strawberry Creek College. It was the first time in my career that teaching was foregrounded. No one had thought before much about teaching style. Lecture was traditional. Dominant submission. <laughs> yes, although we loved Robert Alter who would sit up on the table in his shirt sleeves yes. and so on and keep us all laughing. Uh, but um, we, we certainly had a lot of laughing going on in our, in fact, with our faculty relations, and uh, and yet uh, one of our students had taught a more democratic style of teaching, and when she arrived late to her to uh, into Berkeley because she'd been away on a camping trip, she was in her all her camping gear. And went into class, the students had all read the assignment, and she had not. And they had the best class they had ever had, because <laughs> they wanted to talk with each other. Imagine democracy in the classroom. I just remember the old professors, I would complain, saying that I suffered from pronoun envy. And then they would give me a hug and say, not to worry, my dear, uh, in English language, they would say, man embraces woman and give you a hug. <laughs> that was the 50s, yes. Yes, it certainly was. Talk about stealth feminism. I just love stealth feminism. Yes, stealth feminism is Bridget Connolly, who is our uh, high achiever in the, in the uh, academic world. Uh, she became a full professor and... <clears throat> and uh, she has, her essay is called Stealth Feminism, and the passage I, I would like to read is, In our idealism, however, we were probably naive about the realities of academic success and the struggle to climb the ladder. Certainly I was. The ethics of collaboration and cooperation I learned in the comparative literature department women's community would later bring me into direct conflict with the realities of careerism, the raw competitiveness of singularly ambitious people who were who view one person's gain as their loss. But of course as students we would help each other with rent, 
finding a cheap place to live, you know, all that kind of cooperative work we did. She says, as students in a very interdisciplinary department, comparative literature students could afford to be supportive and generous with each other, to share ideas, to collaborate with each other. So that um, does set us off. It's interesting, the whole notion... Oops, I'm sorry, I don't have any water, my dear. <coughs> Why don't I? Yeah, right. I made a mistake. We're going to have to choke here. <laughs> I forgot to get us a glass of water coming in. <coughs> oh, I'm sorry, Doris. Why don't you... Um, why don't you let me, you pause for just a minute. Let me read you just a little passage here. At the end of the book, uh, there is an interview um, with a woman uh, from um, Afghanistan. And I find it fascinating. Her essay is called The Way We Were. And uh, let's see, dear. Why don't you step outside and get a glass of water? Oh, thank you. Eddie Pay, my my engineer, is uh, just so aware. Most of the time here at KPFA, engineers just, you know, they kind of go <laughs> don't do their own thing. Thank, Thank you, Eddie. Eddie. <laughs> what a darling. You see, sometimes, sometimes people do help one another, yes. I remember <laughs> when I was struggling with the issues at, of feminism over at San Francisco State in these same years, I got my uh, masters. I was studying Gertrude Stein and some others, and uh, I remember uh, my difficulty was with the late great writer Kay Boyle. She was in the old-fashioned tradition of the grand dame. Yes, you know? I, I heard her at Berkeley one time. She was mm-hmm. wonderful, and she gave me all kinds of help. But this whole group thing, you know, of sharing child care and being uh, supportive, um, being more uh, collective this didn't really fit her style uh i remember once there was a meeting and i I told her she must come and and uh, help us get an undergraduate uh, major in women's studies and she went to the meeting and came back and she said oh dear jennifer this young women are combative (laughs) i said now, now, Kay, they didn't, did they? <laughs> she said, well, no, 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 but. No, well, I, you I, know, part of that, mm-hmm. um, part of that combative, uh, mm-hmm. style and so on took its toll, uh, very much. And, uh, uh, and so the university offered us 10 free hours of psychiatry if we felt we needed it. And I must say, at a certain point, I did feel I needed it and, uh, went up to Cowell Hospital. And there was an elderly gentleman, the psychiatrist, with hiking boots on and red socks. And I think all I saw were his cocky-colored boots and his red socks. And I wept for the first two sessions, didn't say a word. Mm-hmm. And But gradually, by session six or seven, I could face my exams, which I had been putting off. Because in that department, we for entrance, you had to have four foreign languages, at an advanced <laughs> level, and one of them had to be Latin or Greek. And uh, that was the beginning. And then, so it was really kind of an impossible situation to, and we all took at least 10 years to get our degrees, because uh, our founder, Alan Bernoir, 
wanted to make us so competitive that we would surely get jobs when mm. we were through. Yes, well, <laughs> yes. Femicide is not a hygiene spray. <laughs> I, I remember being shot down every way there was to be shot down. <laughs> and, you know, I, I guess, uh, as, as so many of the writers in this book point out, we really <laughs> didn't understand what we were up against. You know, we went in with this naive notion, you know, that the vision, the the uh, what is it the truth telling uh, the truth telling you know that this would this would uh, that we would be loved for doing all of this uh, I'm looking here at Joanna's essay the way we were yes she, uh, let's see the Afghan war the first feminist war in all of history I I wonder if that's true uh, uh, I want to mention before I forget a recently released film it's right here in this essay it's called Five in the Afternoon and I was watching it last night it's about the 23 year old daughter of the filmmaker of uh, Kandahar now is anybody I, I remember reviewing Kandahar and getting some mail back so I know people in the KPFA audience have seen that one Five in the Afternoon is absolutely a knockout I just I, I love that movie it's a uh, what is it? Uh, it's young women intoxicated by this new consciousness, you know. Uh, I, I was trying to explain to a young woman the other day how romantic feminism was, you know, mm -hmm. yes. in the 70s, and she did not follow me there. She did not get it. I think, you know, maybe it was the dykes on bikes that came later, but I said, you know, this was something that had never happened before. It changed the entire world as... We know it. And you know. it is still changing and of will course. continue. And I, that's <clears throat> been part of my work since I left teaching. <clears throat> I started a publishing company, Alta Vista Press, and um, have uh, done books of talks by women in public life. And, and I think that's certainly a very, very hopeful uh, area of um, of change. Oh, that, fine. That I'll send you. For. I shall send you a manuscript at once, Doris. <laughs> <laughs> Doris Earnshaw mm -hmm. is here with me, and we're talking about an anthology. And uh, I see. I think I see one light here. I don't think that's us. But I want to mention that this book is available. We have only we have only five copies, folks. Uh, it's the Berkeley Literary Women's Revolution. Essays from Marsha's Salon. It's edited by Marsha Hudson, Bridget Connolly, Doris Earnshaw, Olivia Eelson, and Judy Wells. The foreword is by Robin Lakoff, a linguistics professor with whom we are all very familiar here at KPFA. And she puts the whole thing in historical context. Uh, I once taught a course in literary women and I was desperate for a book like this. I, ha I actually had a, a little paperback called Literary Women. <coughs> you know, it started off, I think, um, people like Elaine Morgan, but it it was basically um, spins on the sort of women, oh, I was thinking my favorite was a screwball. She was a pal of Charlotte Bronte's. Her name was Harriet Martineau. <laughs> and she mm -hmm. came to America. And she, she wrote yeah. these hilariously funny essays. Aha. Uh, Aha. Uh -huh. uh -huh. Yes. Amelia. Amelia is the head of the drama department. And she's here to help us pitch. That's right, Jennifer. And I you know, don't. I don't have the book for you, dear. That's uh, okay. Okay, Daddy. <laughs> we have Jennifer Stone with uh, with us here, and that's that's enough for 
for many folks to go to the phones and support Cover to Cover, Stone's Throw, here with Jennifer Stone that comes on a weekly basis. And, you know, something that you said, Jennifer, that both of you said that resonated with me is change, changing, and uh, the role of women and just the view of perspective, if you will, of feminism sometimes changes, but still the essential, the core is the same, and we have to move forward with that and create that type of change that we want in terms of women having a bigger voice than we have. 848-5732 is the number to call and pledge your support for KPFA. We're in our first day of our spring fund drive and we have a, a goal of a million dollars to come up with to help KPFA survive and continue to bring you the programming that we do. You can call if you're outside of the 510 area code. You can call one 800 Four three nine five seven three two. That's one eight hundred H E Y K P F A. And keep in mind that Jennifer has put together a nice thank you gifts, a couple of books: uh, Berkeley Literary Women's Revolution by Dur- Doris Earnshaw, with your sixty dollar a year pledge. We only have five of those, and we also have the book available to you as a thank you gift: Wild Irish Roses by Trina Robbins. That's yes. also for sixty dollars. Some of these. Some of these, some of these women, you know, went quite mad. I went mad between 1966 and 1977. I wrote a book about that. There's the second essay in this book is by Judy Wells, um, and the title of the essay is "Daddy's Girl Goes Mad: Ten Years at UC Berkeley." Anybody remember Phyllis Chesler's "Women in Madness"? Oh yes. I was working mm-hmm. for a group of psychiatrists at the time, and I gave each one of these psychiatrists a copy. It was not appreciated. (laughs) Never mind. Tell us a little bit about Judy Wells and the essay Daddy's Girl Goes Mad. Judy uh, understood that that women who who feel blocked um, uh, begin to um, identify themselves as very small and and they cling to that smallness and they like it and they they work with it that is they live with it and they have to learn how to unplug the the cork cork and and get that mm-hmm. image of themselves as small and incapable out <laughs> and so that's what the, the the madness is that you really believe uh, what the opponent is saying about you i mm-hmm. mean i'm sure that this is Known in in uh, in political action circles and so on, what's part of revolution is that you have to get a new attitude about yourself. And and Joanna in her essay talks about a boy during the French Revolution who That's was asked Joanna yeah, Joanna Bankier that that uh-huh. essay with the uh, Arabic um, right movie that's mentioned yes uh, she's teaching in Sweden and she does talk about the um, the need to see yourself differently. Now, I think that that is is shown. The the violence of that is shown in the essay that I like so much uh, of Gloria Bowles. Gloria, who, yes. Gloria Bowles, who went on to lead the whole uh, movement of studies for about women, and she says, in the summer of 1972. I got to work on my dissertation, a perfect complete topic as my director, Andrew Jazzy, put it, a comparative study of the imagery of decadence in Stefan Mallarmé and Stefan Georga. At night, I read clandestinely 
my fear was American women poets. And so she, she was torn between the um, standard path going on with her French and German dissertation and yet her hunger and her need for reading the women poets. She was reading the ones she could get her hands on Sarah, in those days, Sarah Teasdale, Edna St. Vincent Millay, Muriel Rukeyser, and she said, their verses entered my head, my heart. So you see, she was beginning to put herself together as a person looking at the world as a whole person, and she said, I read Women Poets for the first time, uh, and it was clear I was confronting new subject matter. Later on, we would debate whether there were also links between gender and style, and so on. So, as she Mm -hmm. said, it made me feel less lonely, I uh, wrote in my journal. I'm a feminist because I need a philosophy for doing things that are considered strange. (laughs) (laughs) That's it, that's it, strange, yes. There are 17 essays in this book, folks. Uh, I have a shelf full of these books, and I remember many years ago, Jermaine Greer writing us a letter and saying, this women's movement, um, what was happening in the late 60s, early 70s, she said, there's going to be a backlash, and these books are going to disappear from our shelves, she said. She was teaching at Tulsa, University of Oklahoma, and she said she'd received some money from the local millionaires, the women who lived in Tulsa, and she said, send me copies of your books because I'm going to put them in the basement here at the university because she said, whether you believe it or not, she said, you're going to go out of fashion again and, you know, we're going to have to to save these the way they save the old books in the monasteries. And I sent her copies of my books and some others and sure enough, the other day, I went looking for, what was it, the Bitch Manifesto, things like that, and yes. it's mm-hmm. not there gone. Mm-hmm. It's all gone. <clears throat> I the think each of Jennifer has Stone a little shelf, there. at least. I, they, you remind me that I do have a little shelf of those, of those books uh, that, um, that I will cherish more after hearing you talking about yours. Yeah, this, this book again is the Berkeley Literary Women's Revolution. This is about what was happening right here in Berkeley at UC with the women who thought they could <laughs> change things and make a renaissance and a revolution and in a way they did. It hasn't quite been integrated yet. Uh, right, and, and in, the, in the sense that, see, we were in, in an academy searching for truth. Uh, I, I would like to just give you the uh, first sentence of the letter that our professor Joseph J. Duggan uh, uh, sent to the uh, provost. He said, Dear Provost Park, the purpose of this letter is to request funds for a series of courses on women in literature and on literature written by women. That was the very first beginning, the beginning of women's studies, and that was our good Joseph Duggan, who, who was a friend of a, a friend of many of ours and helped us very much uh, accomplish what we did accomplish. <laughs> yes, I'm reading this. Cha- yeah, the paragraph here on Valerie Solana's The Scum Manifesto reminding the class how much we owe to the women who came before us, even the crazy ones. Folks, you have to call us here at 1-800-HEY-KPFA, 1-800-HEY-H-E-Y-K-P-F-A, and then... Uh, one that's one eight hundred four three nine five seven three two or local five and dime area code eight 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 
848-KPFA. Jennifer, we have a few people to thank. Terry Compost from Oakland, California. Thank you so much for pledging your support for KPFA. Don Durth from San Francisco, who says, Jennifer is the only premium I need. Thank you so much for pledging your support for KPFA. And John Erhard from Mid Pines. Thank you so much for calling 1-800-439-5732 and pledging your support for KPFA and this wonderful book, Berkeley Literary Women's Revolution, that we've been talking about. There are only five left. I'm not sure if we have any left, but if you want it, are interested in it as a thank you gift for pledging your support for KPFA, you can call 1-800-439-5732 or 510-848-KPFA. Coming up is Hard Knock Radio. And Jennifer, thank you so much for bringing us thank this you. great This is a program. book that shows you how honesty is the work of a lifetime. I'll be back on the air, not Thursday, but next Tuesday at 3.30. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. And one little note of thank you. Arismendi, Emeryville, and Razan's Organic Chicken. Kitchen, sorry, chicken, kitchen. Uh, thank you so much for pledging uh, and showing your support and feeding our volunteers. And many thanks to the volunteers that are in the phone room taking your calls. This is Michael Morgan, music director of the Oakland East Bay Symphony, inviting you to join the conversation. In conjunction with the symphony's presentation of Leonard Bernstein's musical theater piece, Mass, we're hosting a symposium so our community can explore the issues of peace, justice, equality, and spirituality that are raised by Mass. This is art, politics, and spirituality all rolled up into one big argument with God. The free symposium will be on Sunday, May 15th at 3 o'clock at First Congregational Church at 27th and Harrison in Oakland. Our panelists will include Rabbi David Cooper of Kahila Community Synagogue, Dr. Martha Taylor of the Allen Temple Baptist Church, Jake Heggie, composer of the opera Dead Man Walking, Shabir Shabiri, president of Bay Area Youth Muslims, Reverend Amazania of First Congregational Church in Oakland, and Jim Garrison, president of Wisdom University. I will be moderating. For more information, call the Oakland East Bay Symphony at 510-848-8800. 